Amen. Are you glad that Jesus loves you? Amen. I know from my own self, definitely very appreciative of that fact and learning to grow in that. Um, I started out in school in 2008. That was roughly the same time the iPhone came out. Can you believe it? Crazy. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today, the smartphone and how it's impacted our life. And as I was sitting here thinking, I don't know that I remember a specific message quite like this that was preached, and we are definitely living in a different day as technologies have continued to progress in that. The question must be asked, how are these technologies affecting me? And that's what I want you to ask the Lord as we go through this time and look at his word. Uh, there's some specific passages that I think speak to this matter and can deal with our heart in this. And I would ask you here at the outset, Lord, help me to know how is it changing me. Let's talk a little bit with Pastor Zimple right before we started and just realizing that some of you, you grew up in elementary, the smartphone was one of the first devices you remember having. For me, I didn't get a phone um, and a cell phone until I came to college. And um, that wasn't a smartphone. And I remember very vividly, I was sitting there in the White House um, a couple of years into uh, my college um, studies here, and I'd just gotten a smartphone. And I'd used it maybe for a week or something. I remember looking at it and thinking, wow. This opens up a whole lot more than I had in my flip phone. I, mean, I used to think that when you had the flip phone, that was cool, and you could type on it. You know, first of all, I started off with just the one that had the keyboard right on it, and then I saw people with it flipped up and it flipped down. It's like, now that's cool. <laughs> then I got to the smartphone. I said, cool wasn't even, shouldn't have been used to describe the flip phone. Wow, what you can do on this. And then I started to realize, wow the pitfalls that are here, the weights that's here, the sin that can be here. We're going to um, go through a little bit of introduction here, talk on this. Let me give you a video clip. This will help lead us in to the time. How are you being changed by your phone? Of the 7 billion people on Earth, roughly 6 billion own a cell phone, which is pretty shocking given that only 4.5 billion have access to a working toilet. So how are these popular gadgets changing your body and brain? If you're looking down at your phone right now, your spine angle is equivalent to that of an 8-year-old child sitting on your neck, which is fairly significant considering people spend an average of 4.7 hours a day looking at their phone. This, combined with the length of time spent in front of computers, has led to an increase in the prevalence of myopia or nearsightedness in North America. In the 1970s, about one quarter of the population had myopia, where today nearly half do. And in some parts of Asia, 80 to 90% of the population is now nearsighted. And it can be hard to put your phone down. Take for example the game Candy Crush. As you play the game, you achieve small goals, causing your brain to be rewarded with little bursts of dopamine. And eventually you're rewarded in the game with new content. This novelty also gives little bursts of dopamine and together create what is known as a compulsion loop, which just happens to be the same loop responsible for the behaviors associated with nicotine or cocaine. Our brains are hardwired to make us novelty seeking, and this is why apps on our phones are designed to constantly provide us with new content, making them hard to put down. As a result, 93% of young people aged 18 to 29 report using their smartphone as a tool to avoid boredom, as opposed to other activities like reading a book or engaging with people around them. This has created a new term, nomophobia, the fear or anxiety of being without your phone. 
We also see a change in brain patterns. Alpha rhythms are commonly associated with wakeful relaxation, like when your mind wanders off, whereas gamma waves are associated with conscious attentiveness. And experiments have shown that when a cell phone is transmitting, say during a phone call, the power of these alpha waves is significantly boosted, meaning phone transmissions can literally change the way your brain functions. Your smartphone can also disrupt your sleep. The screen emits a blue light, which has been shown to alter our circadian rhythms, diminishing the time spent in deep sleep, which is linked to the development of diabetes, cancer, and obesity. Studies have shown that people who read on their smartphone at night have a harder time falling asleep and produce less melatonin, a hormone responsible for the regulation of sleep-wake cycles. Harvard Medical School advises the last two to three hours before bed be technology-free, so pick up a book before bed instead. Of course, smartphones also completely change our ability to access information, most notably in poor and minority populations. 7% of Americans are entirely dependent on smartphones for their access to the internet. A 2014 study found that the majority of smartphone owners use their phone for online banking, to look up medical information, and searching for jobs. So while phones are in no way exclusively bad and have been part of a positive change in the world, there's no denying that they are changing. changing you. There's a multi-billion dollar industry that has a sole purpose of making you discontent with the device you currently own and getting you to believe that the newest model will solve so many more problems. There's also, it's not the fact that you can't log off, um, as Adam Alter says, it's the fact that there's a thousand people on the other side of the screen that are working to keep you on your phone, in their apps, um, and looking at their content. Leading surveys from the New York Post and others say that on average, Americans check their smartphones 50 to 80 times a day, just under 30,000 times a year. If I get a dollar for every time I looked at my phone, I could quit my day job. <laughs> that would be perfect. Of those surveyed, they found, per Deloitte's 2018 mobile consumer study, 60% of U.S. consumers, 18 to 34, admit to smartphone overuse, the highest level of any age group. So people are getting concerned, even as I was researching this and um, reading on it, people are concerned. And then they try and put some restrictions in there, and most of them said, I can't keep it going. I end up going back um, to it. One, per one young person said it best in um, talking about their phone usage, my phone died. I met my family. They're nice people. <laughs> I trust none of you here have that kind of addiction, but maybe you should, or maybe turning off your phone, not having it in class has helped you to meet your classmates. They're nice people. In referencing this phenomenon, Tony Renke, author of the book, 12 Ways Your Phone Is Changing You, states, the impulse is not hard to understand as we're talking about the phones. Our calendars, our cameras, our pictures, our work, our workouts, our reading, our writing, our credit cards, our maps, our news, our weather, our email, our shopping, all of it, can be managed with this state-of-the-art phone and the apps that are here, the powerful little devices that we can carry everywhere. It's estimated the power in your phone possesses 30,000 times the processing speed of the 70-pound onboard navigational computer that guided Apollo 11 to the surface of the moon. 70 pounds guiding this thing. Now your phone that you can carry with you has 30,000 times that power. As we think of the phone and all that it has, um, maybe you'll relate a little bit to this next clip. I don't know. I think you 
Some of you definitely relate more as you experience the enormous pool and the power of technology. Some of you maybe haven't even thought about it. It's just what you've grown up. It's all that you've known. My driving focus today is that you'd understand that technology patterns that are becoming a part of your life, how they'll help, and maybe more importantly, how they've harmed you and they'll harm your future generations. I've been on a journey on this, and especially as I have two little daughters, and when my daughter Lucy was about two and a half, she took this selfie, figured out on the phone, grabbed my wife's phone, figured out how to turn on the camera, and uh, already at two and a half years old knows how to operate this. And so took that, and you kind of see you're getting that face all, letting me look like some of your guys' selfies. <laughs> That's who she's seen. And as I saw that, and I realized that, said, wow, I know how technology has affected me. But how is it affecting my two-year-old my three-and-a-half-year-old now that she is, it's easy to give her a device and to keep her focused on things. Okay, just look at pictures, things that we've taken, so there's nothing wrong. But to take the work, and the other day I was helping her with a reading lesson, and she's getting S and T mixed up. I'm like, sitting there, this takes work. You know, sometimes it'd be easier to think, you know, is there an app that can teach you this? And Let me just give you that, and you can um, do that. And that keeps her focused on, you know, for time on end, hours on end. How is that, though, affecting her, and is it right? And research has shown that kids, when they're in this technology, they're learning short-term gratification. Oh, this makes me feel good. I can go to the next thing. I, I like that. And instead of, okay, I'm going to put in the work, and I'm going to study, I'm going to learn to read, and for Lucy, she has, you know, 12 years of school to come. But then when you graduate from high school, isn't it awesome? I guess not, because now you've hit college. You thought you thought you were something, graduating from high school. Now you've come into college, and you realize, oh, I'm starting at the bottom of the totem pole again. And you know, those of you that are a little bit older, okay, I've worked my way up, and you know, I'm really getting to be something. And it's great to graduate from college. It's great to graduate from seminary. It takes long-term delaying some of these things, and our phones are taking our attention. They're diverting it. I had a friend who I worked with. He got saved here. He's moved away now. Um, and this summer, it was hard to get a hold of him, but he sent me a picture at the beginning of the summer. He said, no more smartphone for this guy. And it took a while to get a hold of him after that point. Um, we finally connected a couple weeks ago as I was praying about what to preach here. And he said, Caleb, I did away with my smartphone because, you know, a guy that's my age, old, 30, you know, we're about ready to push up daisies. <laughs> Sorry, Pastor Swanson. He said... <laughs> He said, you know what, I imbibed technology when I was a teenager, and it so affected my thinking that my relationship with God, my relationship with my wife was suffering from it. When I was getting to work and I need to focus on long-term projects, I couldn't be thinking on it. I was so, you know, I wanted to pull out my phone, I wanted to Google this. I wanted to check, you know, the price on that. I wanted to see the news on this. And he said, I was jumping around so much, I said, I can't do this anymore he did away with his smartphone. He said, it went back to a flip phone. It takes me a long time to text. He said, but honestly, I'd rather just call and talk to people. And this makes, you know, that relationship. He said, I found it to be deepening. And he said, you know, the most important thing is my relationship with the Lord. And we're going to talk a little bit more on that. If you would, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. These verses speak very definitely to this issue of technology, and I trust this morning even 
it would be a blessing, a challenge to our lives as we think about it here. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Why don't we all stand here for the reading of God's word? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's bow in a word of prayer here this morning. Lord, I pray that you would help us. I pray that you speak to each heart. Um, Lord, whether um, each one here is a smartphone user or not, Lord, we understand there are weights and sins that easily distract us, and I feel like this technology, this area of technology definitely has um, given way in our hearts to this and made it easier for the enemy to take in a hold. And I pray that you would show specific areas in each one's life where they need to take back that ground, where they need to be careful in this use of technology and the power of it. I pray that we would use it for your honor and for your glory. Would you speak to our hearts this morning? I pray this in your name. Amen. You may be seated there. As we look, first of all, at these verses, I see as believers, as college students here this morning, we must understand that we are in a race. This life has an ultimate end and goal, and it starts at salvation. The moment that we got saved, we were put on a race that ultimately ends in heaven. The Apostle Paul in Philippians 3.14 says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So what is this race? What are we, what's the ultimate goal? Well, it is to be there in heaven, because if it weren't that, um, you know, why would you know, the salvation there? So it's the that ultimate end goal that would be in heaven there, but it not right once we get saved. Once we get saved, there are steps, there's obedience, there's service that we need to be doing. So that's why we are left here on this earth. So understanding that we are in a race, a race has an end. Um, I'm not a runner, but my father-in-law is, and he's done a couple marathons. And, um, you know, talking to him, what do you focus on? Well, I'm focusing on that end. When I come across that goal line. You know, you're not thinking about everything else in between there. You're having a focus. You're having your attention set. So we as believers, would our attention be set on heaven, but understanding that the decisions we're making today are affecting that final outcome. Under this, as believers, understanding that we're in a race, would you understand, first of all, that this race is one of service? Living our lives to please God, living our lives so that others are changed for eternity by our lives. Romans 1.16, again the Apostle Paul, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So we must live with the understanding that I am a son, I am a daughter of the King of Kings. When I place my trust in Christ and I was put on this race and I have service to do, this is for the king of kings. This is for the one who gave his life, and we'll see that here in the next verse. The reality that now, the service that God asks of me, laying aside the weights and the sins, this is okay because this is my king. This is my heavenly father. This is incredible. This is what he's asking, the service that he's asking me to be in. Not only is this race one of service, this race is one of obedience. In this life of service, remember that what Christ spoke to those who would follow him in Luke 9.23. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So not only are we serving the king in our lives now, not only in this race are we giving that service to him, but we're obeying him. 
in all areas, in the big and in the little areas of life. God, how do you want me to obey you today? Obedience, even in the times of sufferings or trials. Obedience when all is going well. Not only is this race one of service, not only is this race one of obedience, we see this race is marked by the example of those who have gone before and Jesus Christ himself. If you look through Hebrews chapter 11, you would see here the example of many um, different ones. Old Testament patriarchs, prophets, and all persons there kind of described of those who believed in the promises of God. As you read through that, it's incredible some of the things that they gave up. What they were willing to go without because God had given them a promise, because they were running this race and their eyes were on something better. Today, we can look back to what Jesus Christ has done and we realize that promise has been fulfilled and how glorious it is in our life. You know, we've seen that song, Jesus Loves Me. What amazing reality. He does love me. We know he loves me because he gave his life for me. So as we think about this race that we're in, and we have these examples that have gone before us, we have the example of Jesus Christ, would we realize then whatever God would ask of us in our lives, especially in regard to technology, in putting off the ways, putting off the things that would hinder us in this walk with him, I'm willing to do it. Look at what some of these people did there at the end. Um, through faith, um, let's see here. Verse 32, talking of um, the Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets. They subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong. They waxed valiant in flight. They turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women receiving their dead to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. The mockings, the scourgings, the bonds and imprisonments. By faith, all honoring God. By faith, realizing that this was the race that God had set before them. By faith, keeping their eyes, their focus on the end goal in that relationship with Jesus Christ. Today, we are called again to service. We are called to obedience. It's marked by these who have gone before us. And I ask you, how does that race, how is your race looking? When the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart, whether through a loud thing and a trial, or through just that quiet, speak to this person. Give a track to that person. You know, be praying for this miracle to happen. Let's be focusing on God and being bold. I went out so winning and they just slammed the door in my face. Okay, is that going to deter me? Or is my faith, my focus going to be on the end goal? Jesus Christ and that relationship with him. Jesus is seated there at the right hand of God. We can look at his example, verse 2 of Hebrews chapter 12. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and now in victory at the right hand of God. This is the incredible reality that we have here. It might be easy to look at those people, and well, they must have had something more than I had. But to think of Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, the one who was going before us, taking even the cruel cross on himself, the shame that was there, and he despised the shame, his disciples fleeing him, 
the bodily shame that he had there on the cross. I'm despising your shame. You think you're going to win. You're going to think that me being here as a king of all the creation, hanging here, you think you've won, but I despise you because the joy that was set before him, that relationship that he was going to be able to create between you and I and him as we had that personal divine, that personal devotion with him, now created there. That was his joy. So in the garden, he's asking the, Holy, uh, asking the Father to take away this cup from him. Oh, take it away, but not your will, but mine. Why? Because he was thinking of you today. Thinking of me today in 2019, that here we are going to be, and he wants to give us the victory in going forward. Give us the victory even in our use of technology. This example of Christ, he is in victory now. Verse number two there at the end, he is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. The cross, the grave, sin, it did not have power over him. So today, you and I, we can live in victory. Let's look at that. Not only are we running a race, now as believers, as college students here this morning, we must understand that there is an enemy. And he has weights and entanglements that he wants to get us entrapped in. So as we think of technology, let's talk about the weights here. Um, and specifically related to the phone. And um, the Holy Spirit can obviously take and apply this to um, other ways in your life and other weights that can be there. But remember, first of all, that a weight is not something you're looking for in a race. You know, you may use something like that to train, to give you endurance, but when you're in a race... You don't want weights. I remember growing up there in New Mexico, and it hit a patch of mud. You know, sometimes it would rain real hard, and, you know, you'd have a puddle that would be sitting there. Everything else would dry out, and the clay there would sometimes dry, so the top would be, it would look dry. And then you would go be running through there, hit that, and all of a sudden you could tell, I got weight on my feet. If it rained real hard and you try and run, and we would do that sometimes because it's just cool as a guy to run in the mud, to have that mud flying all over, in the clay, you can only go so far before your shoes are just, you know, three inches of this heavy clay that's here. Well, that's not what you want. In a race, if I was running a marathon, I would not want to be running out there in New Mexico just after a fresh rain, thinking 26 miles, and I have these pounds of mud caked on my shoes here. That's not what I'm wanting. And that's what the writer here is saying. The weights that come on, sometimes it may look, oh, it looks like it's dry. With our uses of technology, sometimes, well, everyone's using it. Everyone's doing it. Everyone has a smartphone. Everyone has internet on their phones. Everyone is, you know, this is what's making me effective. And Satan is so crafty in getting those weights, getting that mud to kind of stick to our shoes there. How can your phone be a weight? Some of the areas that I was thinking about through needless apps, games, news, sport clips, other various apps that we might be drawn to that nothing wrong in and of themselves, but they don't yield to redeeming the time. Or maybe we don't even set time parameters and we just feel like, hey, I got some moments here. We sit down and we start perusing through. We start using this different app or we start going to this service and we end up wasting, wasting precious moments, moments that you could have been praying for your Sunday school class. Moments that you could have been studying for class, working on writing that paper. 
Often, these apps, they're made with novelty features, so there's something new, and it gives us a dopamine hit, wanting more. We saw that there in that first video clip, just the fact of how they're making these. They know what they're doing, putting notifications there, putting on the main screen there. Why? Oh, you know what? Hey, I'm still needed. I'm still wanted here. There's still power that's here. Being honest, I think you would admit that turning to these harmless weights could be in three different ways. Could be when you're bored, could be when you're facing the pressures of life. There's a quiz that's coming up. There's a test. There's a paper to write. Maybe a trial's come into your life. And, oh, this is hard stuff. Man, I'd rather just turn to this. This makes me feel good. This is easy. This content just comes right to me. And I can, you know, even feel like I'm doing something profitable. Oh, if I keep up with the scores, then I can talk to the guy I'm discipling. And we can kind of converse a little bit about that. And really, it's just feeding our flesh. A third thing then, you feel you deserve a break. So after a good spiritual victory, maybe even out soul winning, wow, that was so good. You know what? I just need a little bit of a break. I just need some me time. And you know a smartphone can provide a lot of that. And you can get going. And what turned into a weight and what is a weight, you start to dance on the edge of weight and sin, weight and sin, and it can so easily tend to go into, I just wasted time. I just got into things that I didn't even need to get into, that I was viewing. Now it's my concept of myself. If that's what people are looking like today, I don't look like that. Well, maybe I should change the way I'm behaving, change the way I'm acting, change what I'm wearing. When you're bored, when you're facing the pressures of life, when you feel you deserve a break, be watchful. The enemy wants to take these devices and use them in your life to be a weight. And in that, as that's a weight, he wants to take it then to that it easily beset us, easily entangle us. Another thing that I see about technology is the weight of status. i got to keep up. All my friends have iPhones. All my friends have Samsung, which I don't know why a friend would let another friend have a Samsung. <laughs> Good. Got everyone awake here. You know, I have the iPhone 7. They're out with the iPhone 11 Pro. I've got to get to that. Or maybe I have the iPhone XR, XS, and I've got to get to 11 now. Look at all the features. It can basically write my papers for me. <laughs> and with this weight of this status, this weight of trying to be accepted, and, you know, they're talking, hey, what do you have? Oh, you know, what? oh, wow, okay. Or maybe it's the case for you. Well, I can't afford the phone, but wow, I can really put the bling bling on my case. <laughs> I'm going to have the coolest case around. There's also the weight of relating with others and with God. We talked a little bit about this example um, here from a secular um, author in a book called Reader Come Home. She states this, but here's the worrying thing. The less we engage in deep reading, the less empathetic we're likely to become. There's already evidence pointing that way. Take a 2011 Stanford University study, which looked at empathy in college students. It concluded that empathy had declined by 40% among young people over the last two decades, and especially over the last 10 years. Sherry Turkle from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology puts those findings down to increased online activity in which people are removed from real-life relationships. That changes the way we relate with others and our ability to empathize with them. Taking from the phones, all this, we're not doing deep reading, it's just one article to the next, real quick, just skimming. 
We're not focused in, and now we can't relate with other people. Uh, one author put it, one person who went, to, went from texting to all just phone calls or face-to-face, and he said, we don't want to have a phone call because it doesn't fit into our schedule, those messy lives that someone may need me now as opposed to putting them on a schedule or I can just send a text or a tweet to them. So the weight of relating to God and others is what technology is doing. That When now I sit down to read the scriptures, and I would say you should use your Bible and your devotion time, but it can be, we're so used to just kind of flipping here on the, the phone, we're looking at this email, and then oh, let's flip over to this app, that we sit down and we're looking at this, and thinking, that's a long chapter. And it's affecting the way that our relationship is um, developing with God, and then obviously as we look at others and being able to empathize with them. Another Areas, the weight of not being able to focus long-term, kind of connected here. Multitasking is the new normal. There's a good reason for that. Our brains actually enjoy rapidly moving between different tasks. Why? Call it a novelty bias, an inbuilt cognitive preference for anything new and attention-grabbing. And because flitting from one thing to the next triggers the brain's reward center, multitasking is part of an addictive cycle. That's in stark contrast to the slow-release satisfaction we gain from paying sustained attention to something a habit that requires patience and careful training. Did you get that? To be in God's Word, to be studying that, it takes, it's a slow-release satisfaction. Sustained attention to something. These are from a secular perspective, and those last two add to the fact that we're in a long-term race that requires patience, and we understand that our phone is affecting our devotional life. Our phone is affecting the way that we're relating with others. Our phone is keeping us from having that focus on God and in our devotion times. How we live and who we impact makes a difference in eternity today. So would we be careful about the weights that are holding us with the phone? On imposing restraints and not using technology to its maximum, Tony Renke gives this illustration. Imagine me driving my minivan. Based on the dashboard readout, my van can travel at 140 miles per hour, unconfirmed. So I could race the van every weekend on a local racetrack for fun but that's not what the van is for. It's not intended to win races or to exceed speed limits. It exists to provide safe transportation for my family. To draw out the full benefit of my van, there is no need for me to use all the features at maximum capacity. If, in fact, my van can reach 140 miles per hour, which I doubt, that's so it can travel at 70 miles per hour legally, safely, and comfortably. There are unsaid limits to what I ask the van to do. Certain features serve my family, others don't. I think that is a great illustration here. Your phone can do a lot of things, and just because it can do it doesn't mean you need to be doing it. Just because that app can be on there doesn't mean you need to have that app on there. When did a smartphone become dumb because all it could do was send a text message or take a, uh, a call? And as we think about some of these things, we've embraced this technology from the world thinking, I got to have it. It can do it. I, can, I need to do it. Not realizing, like, no. I don't do this with other, other things. My van, it can go faster, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to keep it within limits there. The weights. Secondly, then, we see the sin that entangles. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. What often happens is these harmless weights turn into entangling sin habits. Remember that technology, it's not the problem. It's only revealing where your heart is at. Oh, that's my heart. Oh, I have access to that, and I want it. That's because your heart is wicked. It's desperately wicked. Who can know it? And that's where we have to put these limits. 
Be careful. Focus on the relationship with God. We've become far too comfortable with the images we see that we should not be given a second glance. As guys or even as girls, comparing yourself to that image, that person. Emails from companies that have images that are not appropriate. Not bad, but it's not, it's not bad. It's, it's okay. We kind of take it as eye candy. And it cause maybe not fantasies at that moment, but in the heat of something, the pressures that come on, all of a sudden we think back and it triggers our mind to be thinking about this. Maybe it creates thoughts of self-worth or selflessness, self-degradation. Um, Makes us discontent with those, with who we are or what we have. Um, social media is a whole minefield we won't even get into, but take these years of college. Truly disconnect as you ask. Be off of that. Okay, you need to connect with these friends? Give them a call. Write them a letter. They've probably never gotten one of those. <laughs> technology makes life easier, but immaturity makes technology self-destructive. I know you feel like, hey, I'm, I'm mature. I'm there. I can handle this. Well, look at your past track record. How about your relationship with God? It easily besets us. It entangles us. Be extremely careful for those weights that lead to sin. We want to focus then on your walk with God. Know his voice and in that relationship with him first and foremost. In Christ, we now aim to kill and root out every earthly sinful desire that remains inside our hearts. The world wants to feed those desires with its own spectacles. So I guard my attention, not with asceticism, but with awareness, caution, fasting, and selective withdrawal based on my own appetites and weaknesses. A sobered sense that my internal susceptibilities to sin must inform my media consumption and self-imposed limits. Until I can say, I am weak, I will be overconfident, overconfident in my spectacle intake. Taken from Tony Rinke and competing spectacles. Powerful. And as myself, as I've worked on this, I know for me I've had to come to that point. I'm weak. I can't handle that. I need to turn that up. I need to restrict this. Remember that one person's liberty does not give you license. I know for me, I appreciate the example of pastor. I don't feel he's weak in any of these areas, but he doesn't want to give any liberty from what he has on his device. I know he holds them very closed down. I know others that are good people. They're seeing God use them, seeing souls saved, and they have other things on there that I'm not going to allow, and I'm not going to give myself the liberty just because they have that. I have to know my weakness. I have to know what God's word says, what's a weight in my life, what is sin, and take steps even from there. Would you be careful? Would you, most importantly, seek God, get to know him? Take a day to fast and pray and ask him, Lord, how is technology affecting my life? Ask God to show you the weights there, the ones that are unrelated maybe even to technology usage. Do you feel that your phone has changed you? Put your phone away. See how anxious you become without it or how often you grab for it. Turn it off. Put it away. If you use your device for devotions, put it in an airplane mode. Really, I would encourage you to take and read from God's word. Obviously, I know it's easy to put in your prayer request there in your app and to keep up with them, and, um, but turn it off. Don't let those things. Keep your mind focused. Have some self-discipline in that way. How are you being changed by your phone? Has it hindered that walk with God? Are you willing to put off the weights, delete the apps, and set the time limits? Most importantly, are you willing to deal with the sin? Oh, yeah, those things. And it's shameful. Man, why do I keep going back to that? Oh, the power that's there. I said I would never do that again. 
It might be a week, it might be a month, it might be a semester. And I'm asking today, according to this, according to the example that we have in Christ, are you willing to deal with that? You know what? It's not worth it. It wasn't worth Christ yielding to that shame. It's not worth for me to yield to that shame and not confess this, not to get the help that I need in this, not to restrict this in a way that would help me in my relationship with God. One of the enemy's favorite tactics is to let us acknowledge God's conviction, to allow us to acknowledge we have a problem, but nothing ever changes because we think the conviction itself means we've changed. And I know what it's been like to sit there in those seats and hear the conviction. Okay, yes, yes, that's what I need to do. Yeah, this may be an area. And I walk out and I'll leave it there. So this morning, what is it? What are the weights that are there? What is the sin even? that needs to be confessed. You need to talk to a room leader. You need to talk to an RA. You need to talk to the dean of men. Come to myself. There is victory. There is help. There are steps that can be taken here. You need to have victory because there's a world that's dying and they're going to hell. They're entangled in this. They don't want to be entangled in this. They want to get out of it. They're in stuff that's horrible, that's bad. They're asking for help, but we're so concerned about, well, what this can do, and I can have it in my life, and it's being a way to we're missing out on those opportunities of those around us. Would you make the decision today, let God work in your heart, show you the weights, show you the sin, confess it, and move on in victory. Let's bow in a word of prayer here.